Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark, Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www. .thegrovewr.org And now, here's a word from the Lord. John 18, 1-11. Let me read this again from the New Living Translation. New Living Translation. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove. Not a union grove, but an olive grove. He and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Sound like some of y'all kinfolk, don't it? The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Amen. I want to try and talk this morning from the thought, a cup of wisdom. A cup of wisdom. A cup of of wisdom we honor God who does all things extraordinarily well and this is the day the Lord has made to him be all honor glory and praise to our assistant pastor and his lovely bride to my lovely bride to all of the elders ministers deacons trustees vision leaders all of y'all we just want to give you honor and bless you in the name of our Lord Uh, again today I want to talk from the thought a cup of wisdom a cup of wisdom uh, what, what is wisdom? What is it? If we had to define wisdom, how could we define it or describe it? Simply put, I believe wisdom boils down to principles by which life works. Wisdom boils down to principles by which life works. In other words, wisdom helps us understand how to make life work how to make life work, how to make careers work, how to make family work, how to make ministry work, how how to make business work, how to make justice work, how to make societies work, how to make foreign relations work. Wisdom boils down to principles by which life works. Wisdom is normally taught from an authority figure such as a father or a king or some sort of a teacher, some sort of an instructor who teaches sons or subjects matters of uh, order, justice, truth, again, so that life can work for the individual, the family, the wider society. Uh, Again, wisdom is given by way of instruction. It is oftentimes shared in the context of relationship. It's precious. Wisdom is valuable. In fact, Proverbs 8 and 11 says, for wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. There are proverbs in the Bible for all types of situations, including hostile situations like what we have in today's text. There's a mob coming to arrest Jesus and and take him to court to be charged or be tried on charges of blasphemy. The religious leaders of the Jews had been after Jesus For years, they didn't like how he violated the Sabbath, exercised demons, even accused him 
of exercising demons by the power of Satan himself. And that he claimed to be the son of God and king of the Jews. And among other charges, among other issues they had with him, they, uh, they, they send a delegation. They send uh, some persons, some, a mob to come and arrest him. And, and this mob means business. They mean business. They, they are serious. They, they, aren't, they aren't just uh, some Rudy Poot mobsters. These, these jokers are serious. They are, just, they, are, they are armed with weapons, and it's a very hostile situation. It's dark. It's after the sun has gone down, and uh, a lot of what John writes about when he describes the time of day, he, he, he has a tendency to describe things happening at night. Uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. The scene that we're observing now happens at night. And it's not only to describe darkness in terms of the sun going down, but darkness in terms of the, the darkness of the age. Darkness as it relates to evil. Darkness as it relates to wickedness and, and Satan ruling the world and all of its effects and how Jesus it's the very opposite or the very antidote to this darkness, for he is the light of the world. He illuminates truth. He, he illuminates God. He exposes what Satan may have hidden in the dark by the light of the truth, by the light of God's love, by the light, by the light of God's grace. It, it can expose stuff that darkness can hide. Our scene uh, in, in today's text happens uh, in, in the dark, in darkness, and in, in this darkness is is, is an awful lot of foolishness driving this hostility. And if we're not careful, we can see how foolishness can put salt in the wound of hostility. It can, it can cause hostility to escalate. It can cause, uh, foolishness can cause hostility to, to escalate to a point where it's, it's out of control. But Jesus shows us how his wisdom, how his, how his cup of wisdom uh, is the way for all of us to approach hostile situations. Uh, uh, let, me, let me point out some of the foolishness that's, that's in the text. First, first thing I want to point out is the foolishness of Judas's betrayal of Jesus. The foolishness of Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Let's, let's point out some of the foolishness in the text. And the first little piece of foolishness is uh, uh, Judas's the foolishness of Judas' betrayal of Jesus. I'm in verses 2 and 3. Well, verse 2 says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of, of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus by selling him out to those who wanted to ruin him. Here he is now leading the mob. He's, he's leading the mob, uh, leading the mob to Jesus after the master had finished praying for unity amongst his disciples in John chapter 17. But he also prayed in John chapter 17, verse 12. He said, he says to the father, during my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I, I guarded them so that not one was lost except except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Y'all know which one he was talking about? He was talking about Judas, headed for destruction. Judas, who, according to Jesus' uh, interaction with him at the, at, uh, at the supper, told him, uh, and Satan has provoked one of y'all to betray me. Judas, who is being foolish because he's being provoked, he's being influenced by Satan himself. To betray Jesus. To betray Jesus. Let's, let's pinpoint it be, and try to be a little more specific. The, the, the foolishness of this is that he's betraying his friend. He's betraying his friend. He's, he's betraying Jesus who was, who was his friend. He's betraying Jesus who, who was not only his friend, but Jesus was his teacher. He was his teacher. It was, it was Jesus who taught him, blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It was Jesus who taught Judas, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. In fact, y'all, it was Jesus who taught Judas, uh, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. 
But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven. That big old Bible you toting doesn't make you a child of your father in heaven. All the scriptures you can quote does not necessarily make you a child of your father in heaven. It's, it's how you treat your neighbor. It's how you treat your enemies. Are y'all with me today? Yeah, listen, this is how we are to be known as children of our Father in heaven. For God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. Judas, Judas was to gain wisdom from Jesus. He was to partner with Jesus as one who had his back, not one who would stab him in his back. But Judas stabbed him in the back by betraying him. Let me point out first of all, that it is a foolish thing to betray your friends. I said it's a foolish thing to betray your friends. So don't betray your friends. Don't betray your friends. It's a foolish thing to betray those who want you to do better. It's a, it's a foolish thing to betray those who want you to make better choices, better decisions, and have a better life. It's a foolish thing. But what's even worse. It's worse to betray Jesus. Are y'all praying with me today? I said it's even worse to betray Jesus. Don't betray Jesus. Instead, obey Jesus. Don't, don't betray Jesus. Instead, obey Jesus. That's, that's a wise thing to do. Faithfully obey Jesus. Not only is it a wise thing to do, it's a wise way to live in faithful obedience to Jesus, our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. What, 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 what better way to, what better, what, what wiser way to live than to live in, in faithful obedience to Jesus. Don't betray Jesus. Faithfully obey Jesus. It was Jesus who said in John 15 and 4, you are my friends if you do what I command. If you do what I command. You're my friend if you do what I command, be a faithful, obedient follower of Jesus. So we see foolishness in how Judas betrayed Jesus. Not only that, the second thing I, I feel really led to point out is we, we see foolishness of the mob coming to arrest Jesus. We see the foolishness of the mob, foolishness of the mob coming to arrest Jesus, the foolishness of the mob coming to arrest Jesus. I'm in verses 3 to 7. So Judas, again, y'all, came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and, and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were, they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. The mob came to arrest Jesus. They have, y'all, verse 3, torches, lanterns, and weapons. Torches, lanterns, torches. It's, it's dark out. It's nighttime. The sun has gone down. It's, it's darkness. The darkness is concealing, uh, maybe concealing some faces. They, don't have, they didn't have street lights like what you and I have. They didn't, have, they didn't have lights from, from people's garages and from people's houses illuminating the night sky. They, in order to have some illumination to enhance their visibility, they needed torches. They needed lanterns. They were to help them see in the dark. But they couldn't see Jesus as the son of the living God. They couldn't see the save, Jesus as the savior of men. They, they had torches and lanterns, but they couldn't see Jesus as the light of the world, the hope of salvation, God in the flesh, the Messiah they had been looking for. Torches and lanterns help expose what the darkness hides. The torches and lanterns were to help them with their vision. It was to expose what the darkness kept hidden, but wisdom, wisdom helps us see what we cannot see with our natural eyes. But torches and lanterns, listen to me, torches, torches and lanterns cannot help you see Jesus for who he really is. They could see Jesus with the torches and the lanterns and, and with Judas helping to point him out, 
They, they could recognize Jesus, but they recognize him as a troublemaker. They, they recognize him as a phony. They recognize him as a fraud. They, listen, torches and lanterns cannot help you see Jesus for who he really is. You need the Holy Ghost to see him for who he really is. Remember, remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who, who do men, uh, who, who do people say I am? What, what are people saying about me? And Peter said, I, I say you're, you're, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Jesus said, torches and lanterns didn't help you come to that conclusion. Flashlights did not help you come to that conclusion. Someone else telling you that did not help you come to, your, come to that conclusion. Flesh, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. If you see me as the Christ, if, if you see me as the son of the living God, the Holy Ghost showed you that. The Holy Ghost made that clear to you. The Spirit of God somehow made it clear to you that I'm more than a rabbi. I'm more than a teacher. I'm more than a healer. I'm more than a lawyer. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Intellect didn't point that out to you. Your education didn't help you see it. Logic didn't help you see it. Reason didn't help you understand it. The Spirit of God had to reveal, had to reveal that to you. Torches and lanterns. They could see Jesus' face, but they couldn't see him. Couldn't see him. They were adamant about arresting Jesus, and they didn't even know what he looked like. Here they are with all this hostility, all this anger, adamant about arresting him. They're, they're so against him. They, they're so opposed to him, but they don't know what he looks like. Now, I can, I can kind of understand why they, they may not know what he looked like. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have, they didn't have church fans with Jesus' picture on the church. Fan. Come on, y'all. They didn't have a picture of Jesus hanging up in Grandma kitchen or, 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 or a picture of, of, of Jesus on Granddaddy's Schiffero. They didn't. Schiffero. Run there behind the chiffero and grab me my rifle. Go on, grab. I said chiffero. It's some. It's 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 likely that we know who we know what certain villains look like, or people who have been villainized. I can make. I can say their name and your and their face will pop in your mind. O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gaddafi, Osama bin Laden, other people we have villainized. You, can, you, you may have never met them, but you probably know what they look like. You've, you've probably seen their face. But it yet intrigues me how they can have this much hostility and this much anger towards somebody, and they don't even know what he looks like. Yeah, when we get there, Judah, point him out to me. Just, just point him out to me. How can you harbor that much resentment towards someone and you don't even know what they look like? But I wonder how many of us in here harbor resentment and ill feelings towards some folk and we, we don't even know what they look like or we may not, we may not really know them. Just like these people, they, they heard enough about him to harbor this resentment. I wonder who in here is guilty of, of having heard enough about some folk. Well, you can't stand them because what you heard about. Ain't had not one conversation with them. You ain't had not one lunch meeting with them. Ain't had not one cup of coffee. Come on, talk to me. Ain't had not one cup of coffee with them. You ain't even, had, uh, you ain't even greeted them and said hello. But you can't stand them because of what you heard about. Ain't that foolish? Isn't that foolish? I'm so glad we don't do that in the church. Isn't that a blessing? You encounter that with your kinfolk on your job, in your neighborhood, but not in God's church. You say you can't stand me and you don't even know me. You say you can't stand me, ain't had a conversation. You heard about me though. Mm. 
How much resentment can we harbor towards someone? We don't even know what they look like. We don't, we don't really know them. We, may, we, can know, we know when we see them, but we don't really know them. Let me go a little further. Let me go a little further with this, with this one situation, with this, with, this, with this mob's foolishness. Jesus told them who he was, and they still could not recognize him as the Messiah they were looking for. Watch this. Even after his voice knocked them down, they still could not see him. Who y'all looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And they fell to the ground. They fell back. <laughs> they get back up. Who y'all looking for? We said looking for Jesus. I said I'm he. It's like they fell back. They got up and it's right back to normal. They fell back and they got up with all that resentment. They, they, they got right back up with all that hostility. See, that's one reason why I, I have an issue with folk coming to the altar and hitting the flow. You, you hit the flow, but you get right back up with all that. They laid the hands on you. You fell back, but got back up with, with all that. All that resentment, all that, all that foolishness, all them lies, all that greed, all that. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. They fell back. Think about, think about how that may, how that have, how that went down. They, they got to get back up. They, well, wouldn't that bring about some kind of a, Teddy, if you and I were, I'd be like, Teddy, what was that? What, what? what happened? Was that an earthquake? Oh, well, no earthquake. How did he do that? There's no wonder. There's, there's, they get right back up and still, they still got to get him. They, they missed something that's foundational for wisdom. What's foundational for wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Reverence. Awe. Missing such reverence paves the way for foolish living. If I were to walk up to somebody and say, I'm, I'm looking for Jamuki Johnson. I'm Jamuki and I fall to the ground just from him telling me his name. I'm going to get up wondering, what planet are you from? Shake my hand, Clark. No, I don't want to shake your hand. I'm not comfortable with that right now. How you, am I making sense at all? I mean, think about how that, if we were there and we saw this happening or if it happened to you, you fall to the ground simply by someone's voice and you get up with no fear, no reverence, no awe, no wonder. But I think that may be so many of our problem that we've, we've had encounters with Jesus, but it's not produced any fear. It, it has not produced any awe. It has not produced any wonder of Jesus. That's not all. I'm saying that that alone should have produced some wonder, some awesome this guy Luke, when Luke tells this same story when Luke tells the same story you remember so Peter cut off Malchus's ear when Peter tells when Luke tells the story in Luke chapter 22 Luke chapter 22 verse 1 verse 51 I'm sorry Luke chapter 22 verse 51 when 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 the ear hits the ground Jesus said according to Luke's testimony no more of this stop this but Luke goes on to say, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. He touched the man's ear and healed him. The man's ear, it's unclear whether Jesus picked the ear up off the ground and put it back on his head and healed him. Or if Jesus just healed him, in the, we don't know exactly how it happened, but, but a miracle took place right there in front of their eyes. Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him in front of their eyes. And there's still no wonder, no awe, 
reverence. No worship. After all God has done in front of your very eyes, there's still no wonder, no awe, no fear, no reverence, no worship. I'm saying that, listen, if, if you've seen God turn it around, if you've seen God perform miracles, if you've seen God make a way out of no way, it ought to have you to where you, you can't help but lift your hands. You, you can't help but give him glory. You can't help but trust him. You can't help but call on his name. You can't help but fear him enough to walk in his ways. You can't, you can't help but trust him and realize, yes, he's real. He's real in my soul. I'm in awe of him. I love him too much to mistreat you. I love him too much to dog you out. I love him too much to try and ruin you. I'm saying that's how we ought to be getting down. There should be a... Well, we've seen him do too much. We've had too many personal encounters with him to be living any old kind of way. I think that's a deficiency in too many of our lives. Too many of our, I think, I, think, I think that's a deficiency in too many of our lives where we either haven't experienced it or we underappreciate it, undervalue the awesome, miraculous, wonderful things God has done in our lives. Bless his name. They were foolish in how they still tried to arrest him despite the encounter they had with him. Despite all they seen Jesus do in that moment, they still had no reverence for him. They were yet determined to arrest him as a step towards ruining him. I'm saying that's foolish. So I want to leave you with this, with this point. Don't go through life without reverence for God. Don't go through life without reverence for God. Such reverence is the foundation of wisdom. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. If you have ever had an encounter with the Lord, if you've ever had an encounter with God, and a miraculous encounter, an encounter with something out of the ordinary, something very unusual happened, and you knew it was God, then re revere him, honor him, but be, be in awe of him. Revere Jesus enough to take his teachings seriously. Hide them in your heart. Learn his teachings so you can live by them. They make life work. We, we have the foolishness of Judas's betrayer. We have the foolishness of the mob who, come, who had come to arrest Jesus. There's a third thing I want to point out. The foolishness of Peter's good intentions. The foolishness of Peter's good intentions. Peter had good intentions, but he was foolish. Look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had, who had a sword, drew it and struck the priest, the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's, near was, the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Peter cut off Malchus's ear. It was foolish because it reflected worldly behavior. Worldly behavior. It reflected, it reflected, y'all, that Peter savored the things of men more than the things of God. I want to remind you of his conversation that he had with Jesus just a little while ago. Just a little while ago, Jesus, Jesus was talking about dying, suffering and dying, and, and Peter, Peter had a problem with it. He didn't want Jesus to suffer and die. And, he's, and, and, and so uh, uh, here's what he said, Matthew 16, 21. From then on, Jesus began, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside, Matthew 16, 22. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Listen, you are a dangerous trap to me. You mean well, but you're a trap. You're, you're, a, dang you're a dangerous trap to me. Here it is. Here's what I want, really want us to get. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. 
You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Peter, why did you cut my man's ear off? If the truth is told, because I see things merely from a man's perspective and not God's. It seemed, it seemed to make sense to me. It, it seemed to be the righteous thing to do. I, I, I thought Jesus was coming to establish a visible kingdom on earth, and I thought the only way we were going to advance that kingdom and make it come to pass was to, by any means necessary with the sword. You know what I mean? It's just he had good intentions, but it reflected a worldly perspective. It reflected how the world advanced kingdoms. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. In another scene after this one, Jesus would get into a conversation with Pontius Pilate. And he tells Pilate, says something very interesting when you really think about it. He told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom. Oh, oh so you're a king. So you are a king. My kingdom is not of this world. You, so you are a king with a kingdom with what? Eleven subjects? You're a king with eleven subjects? That's like somebody coming here saying they're the archbishop of all the saints in the entire state of Georgia and they got a little church in Unadilla with ten members. You're laughing. You're laughing. I'm glad you laughed because I wonder why Pilate didn't laugh. You're a king. You're, you're a king. But that speaks of the oddity of it. That speaks of the, of the divinity of it all. That it doesn't make sense by worldly standards. He's a king with no army. He's a king with no castle. He's a king with no throne. He's a king who's about to be killed. He's a king. My kingdom is not of this world. You don't understand. I don't have any, I don't have a human army. I could call on my father to release a legion of angels. And there's another text where he's talking to his disciples as if he could say, I could get God, I could get the father to release a legion of angels for each of us. And a legion is what, 3,000? 3,000 persons composed comprising a, a, a legion, 3,000 angels per disciple? You mean at, at just, a, just at, at, at by the will of the Father, 33,000 angels could be dispatched? And the Bible told us what one angel can do. Peter was thinking in merely, in merely human terms. Jesus' kingdom is not worldly. It does not have manly origins nor is it worldly it is it, it is not manly in its nature it is of heaven it has a totally different method in its madness it is not advanced watch this with swords armies tanks artillery it is advanced with God's word and spirit the kingdom of God advances as disciples of Jesus reproduce themselves and adhere to the principles Jesus taught. Principles such as that of love and forgiveness and obedience. Although, I can't say there too long. Although Peter meant well, he was foolish. My encouragement to all of us, don't be a fool with good intentions. Instead, seek God to discern, seek, seek to discern God's hand in your hostile situation. Listen to me. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure Peter saw their torches. Peter saw their lanterns. Peter saw their swords. And Peter saw the threat of, that all of this posed. Watch this, y'all. But he couldn't see God's hand in the hostile situation. That's the, that's the difference between discerning the things of the world and the things of God, the things of man and the things of God. I can, I can see what they're doing. I can see what they're trying to do. I, I can see what's happening in the economy. I can see what's happening with the military. But, but the question is, can you see what's happening with God's hand? You can see what they're trying to do to your marriage. You, you can see what they're trying to do to you on the job. You can see what they're trying to do to you in the neighborhood. But can you see, can you see God's hand in your hostile situation? Are y'all praying with me today? Yeah, he couldn't see God's hand in his situation. It is foolish to see what makes you feel threatened, but blind to how God plans to use it all to advance his kingdom in the earth. 
So again, I want to ask y'all, can you see God's hand in the midst of your hostile situation? Can you see your situation from God's point of view? From Peter's point of view, the movement will end if they kill Jesus. From God's point of view, he so loves the world that he's giving his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. From God's point of view, what's about to happen is what Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. God is demonstrating his power unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Peter cannot see it in the darkness of the night despite the torches and the lanterns, but from God's point of view according to Romans chapter 5 verse 6 what's happening right there before Peter's eyes is we are yet without strength but Jesus is about to die for the ungodly Peter cannot see it but according to Romans chapter 5 verse 8 the reason why Peter cut off Malchus's ear is because he could not see that what was unfolding before his eyes is God commending his love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ is about to die for us. Peter cut off Malchus's ear because he saw the threat, but he couldn't see what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 5 verse 9, but because Peter couldn't see it, but the way God sees this hostile situation, the blood Jesus will soon shed on Calvary's cross will be justified by that blood and saved from wrath through him. Peter could not see it but we will be reconciled to God by the death of his son Jesus much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life my question to you is can you see it I know you have good intentions for what you're doing but can you see God's hand you have good intentions for what you're saying but can you see God's hand you have good intentions for how you're trying to help your friend but can you see God's hand can you see God's hand in your situation can you see your situation from God's point of view if so you should be saying what he has said in his word here's God's point of view for your situation goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever I don't know what you're going through right now, but from God's point of view, God knows the plans he has for you to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. I don't know what you're going through right now, but from God's point of view, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I don't know what you need right now, but from God's point of view, God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't know who's out to attack you, but from God's point of of you no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue that rises up in condemnation shall be condemned I don't know what you're going through right now I don't know what the devil is trying to do to you but greater is he who lives in you than he that is in the world I don't know what's falling apart in your life I don't know what you see falling apart it could be your family it could be your finances it could be your health it could be your mind I don't know what's falling apart but from God's point of view he's called all things to work together for good for those of you who love him and are called according to his purpose I need somebody to declare I got to get God's point of view on my situation I got to see it the way God sees it I got to see it from God's perspective I want you to see God's hand in your situation Sometimes you may not see it until the drama has disappeared and the hostility no longer, hang, no longer hangs around. Give it some time. The wise thing to do, if you can't see God's hand in your situation now, give it some time. Because what Peter shows us, what Peter shows us is you never know how you might look at it two months from now. You, you, you see it one way today. You see it one way in the darkness of the situation in which you find yourself, but you never know. You, you may have a totally different perspective in two months. Why do you say that, Pastor Clark? I say that because on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, two months later, two months after this night in, in John chapter 18, Peter preached and Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his, watch this, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Yeah, two months ago he was slicing ears. 
He's had some time to think about it. He's had some time to witness the crucifixion. He's had some time to witness the burial and the resurrection. He's had some time to witness being filled with the Holy Ghost. Two months later, he sees that night totally differently. Give it some time. Let me hear you say that. I got to give it some time. You may see today differently in two months. Give it some time. God may need to crucify some stuff, bury some stuff, resurrect some stuff, fill you with the, good, with, the, with the Holy Ghost for you to look back on today and look back on this season and see it differently and see that God had his hand in it all alone. Amen. I've held you long enough. I've held you long far, much, farther, much longer than I intended. One more thing and I'm done. I want us to look at, we've looked at the foolishness of Judas's betrayal of Jesus. We looked at the foolishness of the mob arresting Jesus. We looked at the foolishness of Peter's good intentions. One final thing, the wisdom of Jesus. The wisdom of Jesus. The wisdom of Jesus, Jesus in verse 11. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Put your sword away. I got to drink this cup. This cup of wisdom, this... This, this cup of torture, this cup of harassment, this cup of abuse, this cup of being misunderstood, this cup of persecution, this cup of crucifixion, this cup where I lose it all, but I'm getting it back. I'm getting it back. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. I want us to just put, I want us to understand this. Jesus has to accept the cup. Despite, listen, listen, despite all the foolishness that's around him, in Judas, the mob, one of his own disciples, one of his own homies, this foolishness that surrounds him does not, does not cause him to conform and become foolish himself. Well, of course he's Jesus, you know. But he's unfazed. By the foolishness that surrounds him. That's my prayer for us. That despite the foolishness of, of other folk who are attacking us, we don't respond to foolishness with foolishness. We respond to foolishness with wisdom. Or like Sister Obama said, when they go low, we go high. When they want to be foolish, we resort to wisdom. How does Jesus show us wisdom? Three things real quick and I'm done. Jesus, first of all, Jesus knew all that was going to happen to him. Verse 4, Jesus knew all that was going to happen to him. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? He knew he was about to get the crown of thorns. He knew he was going to be humiliated. He knew he was getting the nails. He knew he was going to bleed. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to lay his life down. But in three days later, be raised from the grave. He knew what was going to happen to him. Despite, and, and because he knew what was going to happen to him, he could face what would happen in that moment. Jesus looked at his life. He said, my life is bigger than this moment. My, what God is doing in my life is, is larger than this moment. You're bigger than your moment. You're, you're bigger than this momentary affliction that you must endure. Your, your life is more. There's, there's more life beyond the momentary affliction you are now enduring. Do you hear me talking to you? Your life is bigger than that. Your life goes beyond that. Somebody say that. My life goes beyond this. I'm going to live after this. I got some more days after this. I got more sunshine after this. Talk, Pastor Jones and I hooked up for a quick second yesterday. Ernest Jones doing great out there in, in Dublin. Uh, we miss him, Persephone and, and Kristen. But we, uh, we were, spent a couple of minutes together yesterday. And uh, he, he talked about a storm he ran into. It, it, it just gets so stormy there on 16 between here and Dublin. So he talked about a storm he ran into. And, and the, the storm got so bad. that The rain was coming down with such ferocity. It was, just coming, it was just fast and furious. He said he had to pull over. But eventually he began traveling again, and, and, and as he kept traveling, eventually the sun. He said the sun was always shining, but he got to a place where it was nothing but sunshine and the road was dry. If you just keep, if you hang in there, if you can endure the momentary affliction, if you can endure the cup that's, been, that's come your way with the wisdom of God, 
and realize on the other side of this momentary affliction is more sunshine, sunshiny days, dry roads. I, I need somebody to believe that on the other side of your momentary affliction. You need to be like Jesus. I know it's about to happen to me. I know it's about to happen to me. He knew all that was going to happen. Second thing I want to point out is Jesus knew who he was. He knew who he was. He knew all that was going to happen to him. He knew who he was. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he. I'm he. Now, of course, if we were standing there and people were to say, well, who are you looking for? We're looking for Clark. Now, he's sitting right over there. Clark, they're looking for you. <laughs> go on, Clark, go on. I don't know what you done got yourself in. <laughs> he knew who he was. He knew who he was. They're looking for me, but with boldness and confidence, courage, I'm he. I know who I am. How you want to treat me isn't going to impact how I, how I stand in that moment. I am who I, I, I am he. I am, similar to God telling Moses, I am that I am. I, I am he. I know who I am. I am God in the flesh. I am the promised Messiah. I am the king of the Jews. I have no castle, but I am the king of the Jews. I have no throne, but I am the king of the Jews. I have no human military, but I am the king of the Jews. My, our weapons are principles. Our weapons are, are principles of the kingdom of God. Our weapon is the word of God. Our weapon is love. I, I, I know who I am. Don't have a large following yet, but I know who I am. Jesus, how many you got? I got, I got 11 I can count on. I know who I am. I know who I am. Who I am is not, is not based on how popular I am. I know who I am. You got to know who you are. Be confident in who you are. Then finally, Jesus knew, who he, knew he had to drink the cup given by his father. He knew he had to drink the cup given by his father. Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? This is the cup the father has given me. Now, I need to make sure everybody understands this. This cup, first of all, this cup is figurative language for what was portioned out. Was, was portioned out of what you are to partake. It can speak of God's judgments. It can speak of his wrath. It can speak of afflictions. It can speak of tough times that God has ordained for you to endure. Please keep this in mind, though. There are some tough times we bring upon ourselves because of our own foolishness. Amen. Amen. But then there are some, is some stuff God allows the enemy to bring into your life because of because he's up to something <laughs> because God is he's up to something and, and maybe that's where you are today maybe you need to understand this th these are the cards I've been dealt despite all I've tried to do to avoid this here I am despite all I've done to prevent this here I am maybe maybe these are the cards I've been dealt maybe maybe Maybe. I say that because sometimes we endure stuff because we won't open up and talk to anybody. We won't, we won't get any help from anyone. Sometimes your troubles can end when you finally open up and talk to somebody and they say, oh man, I, I got a friend. He's, he handles stuff like this. Let me call him and see what he can do for you. Amen. Maybe what you're going through is just the cards you've been dealt. Or maybe, maybe you're making it more difficult, again, because you're not opening up and talking talk to anyone. Or because you're, you're not praying and believing that God can turn it around. Maybe if you work towards the turnaround, God will bless your efforts to turn that thing around. Anybody ever been there? Where you were in a situation till you worked on it? And God blessed your efforts to turn that thing around. He knew he had to drink the cup given by his father. When, when, when you find yourself in that place in life, where some stuff that you're dealing with, because, and there's no fault to your own, it just happened. You may be asking, Pastor, what's the wise thing to do? What, what, what do I do? 
The wise thing to do is in the midst of it, you yet give God glory for it. In the midst of it, you yet trust God with it. In the midst of it, you believe that he's able to turn things around. But even more importantly, believe that in the midst of it, in the midst of it, that God is with you in it. That God is with you in it. I'm going to close with this. I was watching um, Dr. Charles Goodman. He was here a couple of years ago. Dr. Charles Goodman, pastor's Tabernacle Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. And um, he talked about how there's something profound and powerful about knowing God is with you. But really, it boils down to knowing God is close. There's something about understanding and appreciating the closeness of God. What, what is it that keeps you going when, you, when your cup is bitter, when your cup is hard to bear, when you're, when, when, when you're, de- when you're dealt with some cards in life and it's tough? It's tough. What, what can help you? What can help is when you know God is close. He's close. Yeah, he's everywhere all at the same time, isn't he? He's everywhere all. He's omnipresent. That's a big Sunday school word. He's omnipresent everywhere all at the same time. But there's something about God being close. And my knowing that even in this, where the cards I was dealt, Maybe those cards entail some cancer or the cards entail some, 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 some uh, tragedy. Cards entail some kind of layoff and now you're about to lose house, car, whatever. Just the cards you were dealt. You, you, you didn't ask for this. You wouldn't wish this on your worst enemy. You did everything to prevent it, but still here you are. It could be that right now God wants you to know he's close. Didn't James tell us draw nigh? To him and he will what draw nigh to you maybe you can hang on a little while longer if you rest in God being close to you he's close the wisdom of Jesus gives us insight for the wisdom uh, uh, for our respective cup a cup of wisdom I don't know how long I may have to go through this. I don't know how long you may be going through what you're going through. But as long as you're in this situation, as long as this moment lasts, I pray that you rest, find security and peace and strength to endure. And God being close. You're in the cup. God is in that cup with you. He's close. Can you praise him today? Amen. This has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.